Hey everybody, this is Nick Padiak. You're listening to I'll Be Damned. Uh, today's show is wrapping up my talk with Walter Guzzi. Uh, this is part three of that talk. Uh, if you have not done so, I would highly suggest that you go back and listen to parts one and two. And uh, if you've done that already, that's great. And I will just spare you the intro because you've heard it before in those two episodes. You know my thoughts about Mr. Guzzi. So I will just get right into it. Here it is. Enjoy the last installment of my talk with Walter Guzzi. So, when did you start having children? Oh, the 19... 46, when I come back from the service, I figured not a good time, you know, between 1940 and 43 or something. Yeah. <laughs> I, I knew right away be, my, my wife wasn't getting any younger either because she was starting to get pretty close to uh, 33 or 34 years old. And uh, so we had it child in 1946 that's the time that's the year I come back so my old Dora Carroll was born in uh, well, December December 27th right after Christmas and uh, and then we had another daughter Diane five years later so that brought my wife up to about 36 years old already you know and that was pretty close, and even the doctor says, you, you know, you might have a blood problem or something like that. But he says, but we'll just hope for the best. Well, the, the best came true, and Diane was born in 1951. And then it was just bringing up a family, and in the meantime, it was work. So okay. where were you? Where were you living at this time after the war? Oh, we had uh, the uh, in-laws on the two-story brick, two what you would call two by six. It's a two-story brick. It was a two-story brick with six. No, not uh, not two by six. Well, yes, yeah, six six rooms on each uh, in each flat, and so whoever was living upstairs, uh, my mother-in-law said, "You're going to have to move now because uh, my son-in-law come back from the service and and." Uh, and this had, this happened when they asked him to move was sometime in in July or something of that 1940, 45 or 46 it was. And One question I, I need to ask you. There's a photo. There's an advertisement, a cigar advertisement. With oh, yeah. You want to see how that came about? Yeah. Okay. How did that happen? Okay. <laughs> uh, I was working for this uh, Colbert Packaging Corporation. This is... 
uh, as a purchasing agent, mm -hmm. and uh, and I was a terrific smoker of cigars, and I used to buy La Palina because they were not too expensive. So I was smoking La Palina cigars, and and one of the uh, packages of uh, La Palina uh, cigar pack packages, La Palina of five cigars in a package. There was a little, little pamphlet in there saying, we uh, please fill this out and we will send you another package, you know, free of charge. I said, sure, I filled it out. It's turned, I didn't get five cigars for nothing. <laughs> so I got the five cigars with a guy that came from the, their advertising agency. And he took pictures of me right in my office where I'm holding a cigar, you know, yeah. and, and all, all different kind of pictures. And, and of course I was in, it was featured in all the newspapers, like the Tribune, the, the Sun Times, at the and uh, the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> wow! So I had guys that were servicing. You know, our uh, our company was supplies, calling me up, saying, "What the hell are you? <laughs> hey, uh, a celebrity now?" <laughs> And he took those pictures right in the office, too. Wow. No, no, no studio or anything like that. Yeah? Did you get any money? Yeah, a pack of cigars. Hey, all right. <laughs> yeah. So, like I say, I was a celebrity. You know? <laughs> so, uh, I went ahead and just continued to, continued to work for Colbert Packaging Corporation. And uh, until 19, in, in 19, yeah, well, 1981 is, was the time when I, uh, I turned 65. And uh, so I decided to retire, I figured I got enough. So the gang in the office, they threw a big shindig at a local local hotel in uh, in the small suburb where our company was was uh, maybe you even passed it by sometime. It was a, it's a large hotel type uh, in a building right around if you're if you're familiar with. Uh, uh, Route 45, or mm. tw 20 and 45, and, and you know the, it, this hotel was list was right at there. So the gang went ahead and uh, threw a, 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 a party for my vacation. You know, not vacation, but my uh, retiring. So. Uh, even the boss knew I liked martini, so he went and had a special uh, container and a big you know, ladle for mixing 
I think the thing was this big, and it weighed a ton. It was, you know, lead glass. So he gave that to me. <laughs> Here he says, he says, now you can go ahead and make your own martinis. <laughs> so, so he was there at the party, and and, and everybody had a good time. You know, what the heck. And where were you living at that point? I was living upstairs right by, uh, oh, at that time I was living with the in-laws. I never moved from there after that. I stayed there all the time then. And we just lived upstairs and little grandma was glad that they were there and the little kids were glad that they had grandma downstairs. And in fact, they spent most of the time downstairs anyway, you know, with grandma, that's the way it was. Yeah. And uh, the, the kids just, you know, like, like they love their grandma over here, like Diane being a grandma. That Penny and, and uh, even little Josephine now, they just adore her because of, she, she plays with them and gives them, you know. And, and so, so that's where uh, I stayed there. We stayed there all the time. and. I even sold the building after in uh, 2005, year 2005, when my wife passed away from Alzheimer's. So, so I stayed there and moved in. And this uh, when uh, Bob and two Bobs and my daughter said, "Well." After you sell the house, why you can uh, spend six months and uh, here with uh, with your older daughter during the winter time, and then in the spring and so springtime, why you can spend the time up here. Well, that was a good arrangement as far as I was concerned, and uh, so that's what I did. I lived all that time with them till. 2005, when, well, even when after my wife passed away because of Alzheimer's. And uh, so here I am talking to you. Yeah, thank you. And uh, trying to figure out things, you know, if there, what I might have missed or anything, but if you got any questions, so I go yeah, ahead. Yeah, so uh, when you retired, yeah. what did you do after that? Did nothing. you travel? <laughs> <laughs> I didn't do anything in particular. No. We didn't do, uh, we were with the kids most of the time. Yeah. Diane, uh, Diane already had three of them already, you could say. Yeah, she had three kids already, and uh, so they were our pride and joy, you know. Mm -hmm. It's just like from one generation to another generation. That's how life is. So uh, we used to just drive up to first Glen Allen when they lived in Glen Allen, and then when they. Uh, Especially when they moved here, we were coming, we were coming quite often. And now you have three 
great-grandchildren. Three great, no, th yeah, three great. Yeah, one little Penny, and there's little Josie, and then there's Vivian, the, the third one that just was born in uh, May. Just about the time that it was my, my birthday, I think, mm -hmm. around May 5th or so. Mm -hmm. and, uh, so, had my, had the good times, you know, I had no, no, no regrets, no regrets. So you were saying, when we, when we talked last time, you were saying that people used to call you left? Lefty, yeah. Lefty, why? I'm left-handed. Well, when did that start? When did from, people from the, start calling from you? From age six. From age six? That's right. Wow. I, I was left-handed. Yeah. I did everything. In fact, I was going to a Catholic school. When I, when I uh, <laughs> went to, yeah, when I, at, at age seven, you had it. It's the time that you, age seven was the time that you, uh, you know, started at school, you, they wouldn't let you start. There was no kindergarten or anything like that in my time. So uh, at, eight, at eight, seven, I started that, uh, this, this first grade. And, uh, and of course, being left-handed, the first thing I did was I grabbed a pencil and then, you know, started this. Started writing with your left hand. Yeah. yeah. And the nun saw that. She says, write with your right hand, not your left hand. Write with your right hand. So no sooner she turned away, there I am, you know. <laughs> with your left hand again. With my left hand again, you know, it's natural. Yeah. So that's where, my, where the term lefty comes in, you know. I do everything with my left hand except right. Oh, really? That's right. Because I of eat, the nun? I, I eat and everything, but uh, with my right hand, I write with my right hand. Is that because of that nun? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> it was either that or broken knuckles, either one. Because she do with the, with, the, with the ruler, you know. Yeah. She'd whack me over my knuckles. So that's why I put the, the word lefty stuck. Yeah. What uh, my younger friends, they start calling me lefty because I was still doing everything left-handed except, except right. That's, all. That's the only thing. Yeah. <laughs> crazy, crazy world. Now, I'd also like to talk about the White Sox. The White Sox. The White yeah. Sox. Yes. They've, they've been your favorite team That's right. your whole life. That's right. And the reason for that was... Where I was born was in this uh, community called Bridgeport in Chicago. It was a community that was called Bridgeport. And this Bridgeport community was uh, from 30, 37th uh, hundred South to uh, Archer Avenue. They called that, all that area there were first over the Lithuanians that lived in the, in the 37th or 38th or something like that. 
and then came Bridgeport, then came the Italian, finally, Italian neighborhoods. And I was born in Bridgeport, which was about two miles, uh, about two and a half miles from Comiskey Park. And that's why I, I, you had to be a Sox fan then, you know, living that close. Yeah. And they, they, you know, you heard of the Notho Gang or something. They didn't have uh, stands or anything like that around certain sections of the park. And there was just a fence, iron fence. So I was one of the Notho Gangs, you know, looking through the fence, fence rope where there was no, uh, uh, nothing in the way and watched the Sox play an awful lot. In fact, I, uh, they used to, uh, in winter time, or not in the winter, but in the fall, say, when the football season started, they used to call, have a, what they call a semi-pro, semi-pro uh, football team that used to, uh, play, practice and play in McKinley Park, which was just a stone's throw away from where I, li where I lived. So I, I used to watch that during the fall, fall, watching them play football. So everything was free. It didn't cost you nothing, you know. Mm -hmm. you, didn't, you didn't have any money. That's the trouble, you know. There's no money. It was in the heart of the Depression. I graduated my grammar school in 1930, and that's when the damn Depression hit so hard that guys were falling off of buildings and shooting themselves and everything because they lost so much money in the stock market when it crashed. And uh, from 1930 till 19, you could say 36, I didn't, I didn't have no job or no, well, of course I graduated uh, my grammar school in 1930 and uh, in 1934, then I went to high school. So did and you play sports in school? No, 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 I was a little shrimp. Yeah? Very small, <laughs> very small. When did you grow? You're yeah, not a shrimp after I started my 14th year, mm. when I was 14. Gotcha. Then I just began to start sprouting up. Mm. And were you a good student? <clears throat> I was fair. <laughs> I did my, you know, did my homework and everything. I took a, what they call a technical course, which required, uh, you know, drafting and stuff like that. And, and all, the, all the shops, also that every high school has, you know, like a wood shop. And, uh, and then there was a forge, there was a blacksmith, even though the blacksmith shop, shop there. And uh, <clears throat> in, your, in your third year, so you, in your third year, you were, uh, you could go to any of these, uh, Technical schools like uh, Forge and, and Blacksmith and, uh, and some other machinists, you know, and stuff like that. You could go to that, that type of school, but before that you couldn't. Mm 
So I crossed over into Kelly High School and in my before my senior year because I was just like I said, a couple blocks away from home. Did you not want to go to one of the shops? Go to one of the shops? Yeah, the blacksmith or forge. You didn't didn't want to? No, 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 no. That didn't interest me at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was more of uh, the type that uh, I wanted. I wanted, uh, you know, accounting, auditing, and stuff like that. That was that was what interested me. Yeah. So that's the that's the thing that I followed because after the war was over, one of my first jobs was no before I even went in the service. Yeah, may go back to that. Before I was uh, drafted, I was working for. First of all, I worked for the Army Ordnance, Kankakee Ordnance Work, where they manufactured uh, the explosive powders for bombs and the bombs themselves at this you know facility. They called it Kankakee Ordnance Works. So I used to commute. To, you know, it was quite a ways from from uh, my home all the way to uh, all the way to Auburn, you could say, Illinois. That's where that factory, those bomb-making factories were. So, but you know, the job was a buck an hour. They did get that the government paid you, and the job that I had was only paying. Uh, 80 cents an hour. So what the hell, it was a nice boost as far as salary was concerned. So I, and how did you get out to Elburn? How did you get there? I latched on to some of the guys that worked in the factory store. So I latched on to one guy that would, that would pick me up at, uh, oh, I had to get to, uh, I think, 63rd or the 63rd and Western. I had to get there to, to, so he could pick me up, and then he would drive me to the to the factory, and there I would get off because I was working for the government. I don't know if I told you, I was working for the government as a what we could, what they call at the time auditing, you know. And we were nothing but uh, guys that were watching that every guy was going through the gates, you know, was punching, mm. punching in. And, and uh, so that was my our primary. And then we'd get to gather all the cards at, this, at a certain day of the month and uh, then on our comptometer, I guess you're familiar with one of them. Mm -mm. Uh -huh. That's a go what they call a computer, a calculating machine. Oh yeah, okay. But they call it a computer. Huh. So you learn how to work one of those things and figuring out the guy's time and everything. Wow. So that's that was what we were doing, and the after the, after everybody after everybody went to work and there was nobody going through the 
gates anymore. Why? That's what we were doing in the meantime, doing this work and this gemtometry work, which was like lady, that. which was lady actually a, a lady's job, mm. you know, working a gemtometry. But they paid us a buck an hour, so that was best. That was more than I was making. So that sounds like a long day to go all the way out to Elburn and come back. Well, they. The guy that you that picked me up, he didn't pick me up at home. That's for sure. Right. I had to meet him. That's uh, a long day for you. Oh yeah, yeah. What time yeah. did you have to wake up? Oh, I used to get up around around six, sometimes even before six, yeah. because I had to be damn sure that I was there, because I, I had to take a streetcar in order to get in order to get there, you know. Mm -hmm. So uh, I, had, I had you know problems with jobs, but I got there <laughs> every day. I got let, Finally latched out to one guy that yeah. would take me there, and then I latched out with another different guy that would take me. And again, both times uh, you had to meet him. The one I, that used to take me to work was uh, I used to meet him at 60 at Archer and uh, and Pulaski. So I walked that part from home all over to Archer and Pulaski mm -hmm. to meet this guy every day. And he would then take me to work. Mm -hmm. And coming home, there was a different guy that would uh, take me from the factory all the way to 67th and, uh, and Western Avenue, who I called a streetcar, and got home, you know, that way. To, to, to my home. So it was a long day, like you say, yeah. very long yeah. day. So. so let's, can we talk about streetcars? We don't have streetcars anymore. Oh Did yeah, well, streetcars were, uh, they had embedded in the streets actual rails on which these streetcars What's the road on? Mm -hmm. They rode on those on those rails that were embedded into the street, and the streets were cobbled, cobbled uh, streets, you could say. You know, if you're familiar with cobble. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's that's what the, what the streets were, and uh, and, there's, and these rails were embedded in there, and they ran in the street car they rode right along the, the they had. They had no uh, pickup service at the back, at the curb, you know. So, so uh, if, you, if you missed a, if you missed a streetcar, if you missed a car, but because of another one that was late or something, well, you just had to wait for another car to come along and and you know uh, take you to where you want to go. And uh, living that. Where I lived, the yards were, there used to be, that 47th Street used to be a direct route from the, uh, from the highways to the stockyards. And they used to come down the 47th Street, these 
these uh, trailers with live pigs and live uh, cows, truck after truck every day, you know, hauling this, uh, this so-called food chain down 47th Street all the way down to the stockyards where then they butcher them. And, 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 and then my father-in-law, he worked in the, uh, what they call, yeah, they, they, he, wore, he worked at the, one of the uh, factories in uh, Swift and Company was the name of the outfit, the company that butchered those cows and, and uh, carved them up and also the pigs also. They uh, did the, the, many a time, not many, but if I didn't feel like going to school sometime, I'd play hooky. <laughs> so where would I go? I'd go down to the, go down to the stockyard, you know, to get off the street so so, so a truant officer wouldn't catch you in you know, a walk in the street, saying, "Why the hell aren't you in school?" <laughs> you know, they used to have them, and uh, so I'd go down to the stockyard and I'd spend almost all day down there watching them butcher the the, the cows. Especially the the beef cows, and then they'd have a different samples, you know, a different station as they as they uh, for for people, you know, to walk and watch how things are being done and all that. So uh, they'd have little samples here and there at at different stations, and so I got plenty to eat and everything else, and. And I played hooky, that's all. <laughs> but I didn't do it often. But, but once in a time you had to relax, you know, and <laughs> play hooky. So those were the times. Yeah. Very young times. There, there were some other things that we had talked about before, or that Bob had talked about. You, you had a dog growing up? Oh, no, no. we had a dog named... Uh, it was, it was Topsy, I think. That's what we called him. Topsy. Never stayed in a house for a long time. Stayed on the outside. We used to have an open stair, staircase leading from the back porch, enclosed back porch, down to the sidewalk. And, uh, My dad was type, he says, the dog doesn't belong in a house. Okay, so he doesn't belong in a house. So that dog always lived underneath the last, the first step next to the sidewalk. And there, right underneath there, and there was his, his sleeping place. Winter, winter, spring, summer, fall. He, he slept there like that. And he survived. In fact, he survived to a point that uh, my father-in-law took him for a, used to take him every morning for a walk, you know. And he took him down to 47th Street. And this one particular time, my father-in-law didn't have right control over the dog. He should have. 
had him had him on a leash or so, but he always took him like that, to, without any leash or anything. And, and the dog was happy that he was going for a walk, you know, as any dog would be. So, but this one particular time, final dog came back empty-handed. And of course the kids were saying, where's Topsy, where's Topsy? Where's he at? And the final dog said, he's over on 47th Street. He got hit by a car. I says, holy crap, so I took a, stay, a, a wagon, that uh, coaster wagon, you know. So I took that with me and with the two, two little darlings, Carol and, and uh, Diane, was crying already even before they even saw him. But he was over, somebody must have pulled him off to the side when we got there. And uh, he couldn't get up or stand up. And I noticed that it was a dark spot that evidently he got hit, you know, by the bottom of the bottom of the car that hit him. And he broke his back so he couldn't move. So there was, there was only one thing to do. I took him, we picked him up, put him in a wagon, brought him back home and laid him uh, alongside on a blanket, the boiler that we had, uh, to be, you know, so he'd be warm. And then uh, he started to whine a little bit, you know. So I says to the girls, I says, you can't eat this dog like this, I says, you gotta put him to sleep, that's all. Oh, no, 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 they're fighting me that I shouldn't do it. I says, I'm gonna do it because he's he's suffering, you know. So I says, what's the point to it? He's not gonna get up or anything. So we picked him up and put him in the wagon, brought him home, and uh, after a little more persuasion, I finally got them to help me put him in the car, and we took him to the dog pond and, uh, and put him to sleep over there. And of course, I was, the, I was the main guy that was putting dogs to sleep all the time because my brother, uh, my youngest brother, he lived oh, about a mile or so away from me. He had dogs, and twice, the first time he he called me and he says, "Lefty, he says, you better you better come and get my dog. The dog is is sick and he's uh, he need, he's got to be put to sleep." So <laughs> I said, "Sure, what the heck?" I figure a dog is a dog, you know, but not to those two little girls that he had. Oh, they called me, you're pounding me on my, on my back and everything, that I was taking her dog away to be put to sleep. But, so, but that was evidently my, my job, I guess. That's the way they figured it. They, they couldn't do it. My brother couldn't do it. My sister-in-law couldn't do it. And of course, the kids just, uh, they, they hated me for a while, you know, that I took their dog away. But what are you going to do? You got to put the animal to sleep, you know, 
to to sleep. So we got him over there, and they, they took him right away and put him in a, a little cubicle where gas is being fed, and they put him to sleep that way. Did you have pets when you were growing up? Not when I was a little kid, no. No? No. There was no room for him. Yeah. There was five, four or five kids with uh, four rooms only. The parlor was used as a was a bedroom where you put a mattress on the floor. And the big guys used to sleep there. Must and have the been hot in the, the summer. Two girls used to sleep in uh, in one bed and one in the bedroom, and uh, and then the two youngest ones used to sleep in the other bed that was on the on the other side because there was no dresser or anything like that. What you had was hooks screwed into the back of the door and you hung your clothes on that. That's where your clothes closet was. Hmm. How did you stay cool in the summer? How? Yeah. On the outside most of the time. There was no, oh, fan, yeah, they had fans. That they let you, you know, if you, if, if you had money for a fan to begin with. But that's what they had, they had fans. During the summertime, if, when it got real hot, we lived a couple of blocks away from Western Avenue. And between Western Avenue and what we call Western Boulevard was a uh, parkway that was about a hundred foot long. We used to take a blanket and go during the real hot summer and just lay out in the grass out there during the summertime. It was too hot inside the house. So you slept on the grass on the outside. Didn't bother us kids when you're young. You got your bones are limbo and everything. I remember when we used to play games out there too. And I was around eight years old or so, I think. <clears throat> no, I was 10 years old. And we used to play what they used to call the whip. It's a game that 10 guys would, would uh, form a line and hold hands together and you get it, you get it one end. And then they'd, we'd run along and run along, and then the one that's, that's at the head would spin around. And of course, the one that, you know, at the end, you know what happened to him. He went flying. <laughs> and one time, I broke what they call the clavicle there, or whatever. Yeah. I broke that. I didn't. Yeah, it was. A, I broke it because I kept I kept walking like this in the house all the time for about a a week, and then my mother says, "What's the matter with you? How come you're walking like that?" So I had to confess to her as I because it was beginning to hurt so bad. I told her about that that thing hurting me. So she didn't take me to a doctor or anything. She took me to a 
woman who, who that they could specialize in broken bones or something, but not a doctor. And all this woman did was just grab that this shoulder in such a way that she just snapped it, and the thing fell right in place. And about a week, it was sore for about a week, and then after that, there was nothing. Wow. But, but you didn't call a doctor for everything there, what the hell? Never did. Because you cost money, you know, with a doctor. Yeah. And there was no money. So when you were at home, did you have a radio growing up? I didn't have a radio on until, uh, what's that they used to call them? <coughs> used to work it with a magneto or something. I forget. It was I did not a regular radio. It was a, a certain attachment that you attached something to it or what. I don't. I forget. But it wasn't a regular radio though. Okay. I didn't hear a regular radio until I was uh, maybe 10 years old or something like that before I finally got to hear a radio. And, and as far as the TV, there was no TV in the house until I bought one myself after I, I had a, two kids already and, and a wife. and. And in 1950s is when I bought my first TV set. It was one with the, the round uh, tube, what they call the picture tube. And, uh, and it was about from the, from the face of it all the way it tapered down like, and, uh, and that you put all kind of tubes in it that you had to buy every so often because they would wear out. They would wear out, you know, and uh, so it wasn't until uh, in 1950 that I actually bought a, bought a regular TV set so that my little girls could have watch TV and not bother mother all the time. So mm. that's the way it was. So I'm interested, when you were growing up and you you didn't have a radio, obviously you didn't yeah. have a TV. Would you just go outside and play? Just go out. You a bunch, bunch of guys were in the same fix I was. So what we would do, what we would do is get a hold of a ball of some kind, any any kind of a ball, and play ball. And we used to have one side of the curb and the other side of the curb as the foul lines. So when you batted the ball, you, you had to bat the ball between these two curves. Because if you strayed, there were lots of lots of windows <laughs> from, the, from the homes, you know. So if you broke one of them, God forbid. Not that so much, but when you got home, because the parents used to go out, go out and have to buy it and put it in and all that. Yeah. So my dad didn't count to that too much, you know, saying, I'm, when I come home from work, I'm tired, and I don't want to be fixing windows for you. So I don't want you to be playing ball out in the street. So we try to hit the ball, you know, between the curves. 
and not to, not to cause any problems. And anyone wants to know well, a peddler would come by and that had his horseshoes, you know, and he picked up a, some oranges or apples, and he'd come down the street hollering about like oranges, and he'd be hollering oranges, oranges, and then the little mothers would come running out of their home and give them, give them their little basket, their little basket, and he would then weigh so much, like three, three pounds or something like that, for a nickel and, and give it back to her. And first he had to scoop to her and he just scooped it in her little basket. No, no plastic bags, no, nothing. <laughs> and what was, what was really cute about, the, about those times too was you probably have heard about the lamplighter. Mm-hmm. Well, every morning, I mean every evening I should say, this little lamplighter would have his little ladder over over his shoulder, and he'd start walk, walking one end of the street. <clears throat> and the street lights were only about eight eight foot tall anyway. They were you know rather small. Well, he would take his little his ladder and lean it up against the the light post, climb up there and the the, the street lights were gas fired. So that meant that he had a light like the mantle that was, you know, on top. And he used to put the gas on and light the lemon mantle and then the light would come on. So in the morning he reversed the process. He said, come back and just shut the gas off and then the mantle would just cool off. And that's what we, that's what the lamp ladder did at that time, you know, during those times. It just, and it's, <laughs> as far as uh, horse, cleaning the streets, yeah. Cleaning the streets was just one guy with a big, Big box like uh, push cart. <clears throat> that was maybe 15 inches, 20 inches square. Well, he was working for the city. So every so often he'd come down the street, and of course the damn horses used to poop, you know, on the on the street. So he'd be there with his little shovel and shoveling the thing and putting it in his in his box, you know, close the box. Go back, go looking for another, you know, a load. So that was the way they cleaned the streets at that time. And uh, <clears throat> the alleyways, if you're familiar with alleys, street alleys in the in the, in Chicago, well, they were in my in my younger days, really younger days, they weren't paved or anything. The horses used to plow through the mud and everything, what they call the garbage wagon, you know. And uh, and then these uh, garbage men, we call them, just empty your can of, wrong can of uh, 
where you put all your garbage in it, and then they used to, the horses used to pull right all the way through the alley that way, unpaved, until they, until they got a break sometime, I don't know, in the 30s or so, when they paved the alleys, and then the horses got a, got a break a little bit then. then. Otherwise, I don't know how those horses pulled those wagon in that mud and everything, mm. but they did it. They did the job. But so the streets had streetcars, cars, and horses. That's right. That was the one street. That sounds dangerous to cross. <laughs> if you're a little kid and you're trying, you've got to look both ways there five were, times. They weren't that many cars. Ah, uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Who owned the car? You tell me. <laughs> Who owned the car? <laughs> just a just a millionaires. Yeah, they're the only ones that owned the cars. And uh, what the streetcar was your tra was your mode of transportation. That's it. You got to run on them. That's all. And was the L built? Well, the L was built later on in the. During the Depression days, I think it was. Okay. So there was no, no, no getting around, other than by a streetcar. Yeah. And like I told you, the rails were already embedded in the street, and yeah. and the, the streets were cobblestone. Yeah. So. Uh, and there, my dad used to be very. But being being a European where a lot of Jews were present, especially in Poland, you know. He, he got real uh, used to eating Jewish rye bread. Well, the bakeries in the, in the neighborhood didn't suit him at all as far as <laughs> eating that bakery bread, rye bread. So he used to give me three cents up there and three cents back, and I think the loaf of bread was like ten cents or something. So he used to send me down to Jewtown, what we call, it was a place where Jewish merchants used to sell merchandise of every kind that you can think of. He used to send me down there to a Jewish bakery just to get him a big round loaf of Jewish rye bread. <laughs> And that is the only thing that that he ate, as far as uh, you know, bread is concerned. But uh, but there, people get used to it, you know, different things. So it was it was primitive, but it was but it was fun. Did you go downtown ever? Not when I was a kid. No, heavens forbid. Oh no, I wouldn't find my way home. <laughs> <laughs> no, you never went downtown. I don't think I saw downtown the way you'd, you're supposed to see it until I was uh, maybe almost 14 years old. I never went downtown. Do you remember why you went the first time? Well, I think it was uh, the one. The thing that I actually saw downtown as it was was when I started dating. 
that's when I saw when I then used to take my uh, loved ones or what we used to call steady if you're familiar with that term mm -hmm. you're steady she was my steady so we used to ride the streetcar to go downtown and go to these magnificent theaters that they that they built in the downtown area which was I think about four of them that you that you had your choice of going and of course seeing because once they had a movie on there or what why they used to keep it there for a week or two weeks in the same theater so then in the meantime you went to the others and saw a movie if they were you know to your liking and uh, one was good about it they had uh, Part of it, too. They used to give you, you used to see a movie and then also a portable show, having all different kind of dancing girls and stuff like that. So it was entertaining, you know, and it was nice. And that's when you take your date out and show her a good time. Let <laughs> 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 see, let her see a movie, a good movie. Because in the neighborhood they had uh, they had theaters in the neighborhood, and uh, in order to entice people to to uh, come to the theater on a certain night, they used to call. They used to have uh, like they used to call it dish night. They had different types of dishes that they'd give each each uh, patron, you know, a dish as you uh, entered the theater. And that way uh, you assembled, you know, dishes for the table. Hmm. So uh, so naturally, uh, when the dish was, dish when it was dish night, well, the theater used to be full all the time. <laughs> and uh, so we, we made, Made sure that one of us, you know, went to the theater and had to, got a dish of some kind, and that way the mother assembled a, a dish, dish and sobble so that six kids could sit down at the table and eat, you know, yeah. in one sitting <laughs> instead of instead of two or three. Yeah. Because we had a in the in the kitchen. Our, our, kitchen was a four-room, what they call a four-room, flat, cold water, cold water flat. In other words, there was no hot water or nothing. It was cold water. And uh, in it, we, my mother had the icebox, which we called the icebox. It was a compartment, it was a, it was about, oh, about little, about maybe four foot high. Half of it was where the ice was put, and half was the re refrigeration section where you put your food. And every day there would be a uh, ice wagon. We used to call them the ice wagon. It was a it was a truck that the guy would guy would just uh, 
you know, creep along and look at your window to see if you need a nice and and, the, and how you would know is he gave you a placard which had 10, I mean, which had 25 pounds, 50 pounds, 75 and 100 pounds. So the one that was showing up, like 10, like 50 pounds, he wouldn't even come in the house. He'd chop off from a big 200-pound uh, uh, block of ice chop off approximately 50 pounds or so, sling it on his shoulder, walk in the house, flip open your ice, ice box, put the ice in there, close it, and my mother would give him a dime or 15 cents or something like that for the, for the ice. That's how they refrigerated, you know, some, so, so you didn't, you didn't buy a lot of stuff, you know, you, you, you had uh, a grocery, and a butcher shop almost on every corner of the street. Everyone had a butcher shop and, and, a, and a grocery store that you could go in and buy what you wanted so you didn't have to refrigerate things very long. And uh, so that's how they, uh, I lived that way, what the hell, man? let's see. Going. Oh, I think, oh yeah, washing clothes. What, six kids. My, my mother used to fill a big basin, like a round one. Mm -hmm. I forget what they call them. I think a basin, a tub? Tub, a tub. that's it, tub. Water tub, we used to call it. And she'd, during the winter time, of course, she'd uh, heat the water on the uh, on the stove, which was a, a gas range, which was a combination two gas jets on one side and a coal burning, uh, you could say, space on the other side. So during the winter, we that we used to heat the house with the help heat the house up. Oh, what that uh, what that uh, with coal. Uh, but in the summertime, it was with the uh, with the two gas jets that my mother used to heat the water and uh, and it was I think when I was out of high school and our boys were. And the boys were all, you could say, starting to work and everything. And we bought my mother a uh, a Speed Queen wash machine. Boy, was she happy when she saw that. <laughs> <laughs> because she could do it, wash her clothes, otherwise it was, you know, on your hands and knees. And, Washing clothes for six kids. Yeah. So it was a rough life. And you didn't have electricity for a long oh, no, time. Oh, no, right? no, 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 no. Do you remember when yes. you got electricity? I would say, let's see, I was 10. Then maybe when I was about 14 years old, when I was just getting 
at a grammar school. That's when we got electricity. That was that would be in 1934. That's when we got electricity. Otherwise, it was what that's mantle, what they call, attached to a to a little glass gas jet up above, and you had to light that every day in order to get light and. When you went to bed, of course, you just shut the gas off, and it was dark, and the only light that you had was a, a large uh, lantern that you had inside on a, in the middle of your ki kitchen table, and that supplied the light for you uh, during, the, during the night and also the forenight, because uh, you didn't want to waste any gas or anything like that. So while you're getting the light, you get some, you know, you get a little heat out of it too at the same time. So yeah, it was in 1934, I think, or no, 1900. It was almost uh, 1936, I think, that my dad got uh, finally electricity and, into the house that he bought for a couple thousand bucks, I think it was during the uh, Depression days to 19, because the Depression days were from 1930 to 19, you could say 36. That's when things were really bad. And, and of course, I, I was glad that, uh, I think we all were glad that my Dad was working, and uh, and he was a soap maker, so his job was uh, pretty uh, pretty steady all the time. And whereas my mother was what they call I don't know if I told you, night stenographer. Well, so your your dad must have had enough money to buy two thousand dollars worth of. You mean a house? Yeah. Yeah. They had what they call their own uh, uh, small banks. They called uh, credit unions. That's what they had. So you saved money in that until you had enough money to put down a you know a down payment on a house. Mm -hmm. And that house, their call, I think, cost my dad uh, maybe a couple thousand bucks because it was uh, the. the that house on that we he he bought initially was uh, on wooden posts, big thick round wooden posts, and that's what the whole frame and everything was resting on. Mm. And uh, so when he bought this house, my dad went ahead and he uh, had a uh, after he saved a little money in these little banks, you know, credit union. He went ahead and he bought, uh, he got a contractor that lifted the house up to the level, otherwise the house, to, the first floor was was below the, below the ground, mm -hmm. uh, below the sidewalk rather. And uh, he lifted the sidewalk up to the first floor of the house, not the sidewalk, but the house, to the house. And, uh, and had a carpenter do that. and made a four-room 
flat out of it, out of the first basement, you could call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and that was a godsend for us guys because we were already getting up, up you know, getting up in, in years and everything. <clears throat> so my three brothers and I, we, we moved downstairs and that's where the three of us lived. And, what uh, about um, uh, what, one other thing I uh, wanted to ask you about was uh, beer, buckets of beer. Oh yeah, okay, the buckets of beer. Well, one of us was delegated, uh, anyone that was available at the house at the time when my dad got home from work. Well, he used to like to have his beer, you know, after working in a and making soap, and and I don't know how he stood it there during the summertime because it was with everything cooking, you know, and all that. It was it was terrible, and so he used to give us. He had a little bucket, and in that bucket. By uh, he used to, we used to go to the the uh, bar on the corner and reach over the bar and hand him and the guy bartender the the bucket bucket and to keep keep the keep the foam down. My dad all tired of the the inside of it and that kept the foam down. <laughs> And that way he got more beer all the time. <laughs> and they would just fill up the bucket. They just fill up the beer. bucket. That's right. Wow. Fill up the bucket and carried it home and gave it to him. And and nobody stopped you or anything like that. That you're talking, you know, walking with beer or something like that, like they do now. If a kid ten years old was walking with a bucket, they they think you're crazy or something. You know? <laughs> Did you ever uh, try any of it? The beer? Yeah. Oh, I used to get the foaming up to your lip, you know. <laughs> <laughs> used to take a little sip now and then. And I'll never forget when we, my dad decided to make some homemade wine. That was a fiasco, not a fiasco, but it was, it was uh, sort of fun for a while, you know, because you had to go down to the, um, what we call the vegetable market and buy those blue grapes uh, and buy, buy boxes. And my dad would go down there and, of course, uh, I was just trying to think of how, how the hell did he get that, those uh, cans home, I mean not cans, but about those boxes of blue grapes home, you know, to make wine. But somehow or another, he did it. And, and of course, we had a lot of fun, you know, stomping on him and <laughs> smashing it and everything. And then they, he used to strain it through a uh, through a towel. You know, real, uh, it had to be a, had to be a, a, a certain type towel that was, uh, that the juice would, you know, flow through it. And, uh, into a container, and, and all they did was just add yeast to it, and uh, and then in a big crack, 
That's where they, all the juice and everything went in there with the, uh, with all mixed with this, uh, with the yeast and mixed it all up and up, uh, the juice, just nothing but juice and put this crap on the side, crack on the side and then you just let it there and uh, let it ferment and before you know it the thing would stop fermenting and you scrape the the uh, the yeast off the top, and then the rest you would put it through another sieve, and get the uh, so-called wine now, you know, and the uh, in a container. In fact, we put it in a. My dad bought himself a little barrel, about an eight gallon or so, in a wooden barrel, which would be better for for you know for. <clears throat> keeping that wine in there. So we poured the wine into this into this little barrel and my dad put it on the uh, upstairs attic and just let it let it there. And one day he noticed that my older brother, one of one of my older brothers was, you know, acting goofy. So what he was doing, he was tapping that little oh. barrel. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, and drinking it. But this time he took too much and my dad noticed it. Oh, did he did, did he get a whopping? <laughs> did he get a whopping? <laughs> he had his own little brewery. <laughs> So that was the end of that fiasco. <laughs> my dad never made any any wine anymore. After that, it, it didn't pay. <laughs> so that's good. Yeah. Well, thank you, thank you for sharing these stories with me. This is you've uh, this has been a real honor, and I appreciate you you talking with me. You've led a full life, a great life, and, and well, it's good to reminisce, you know. Some some of the times were good and some were bad. So, not bad, but you know, uh, it, it didn't. You, you wish it didn't happen to you, so to speak. You know. Yeah. Well, thanks yeah. for sharing it all with me. I really yeah. appreciate it. Well, okay, Dick. Thank you. Thank you.